whole time Barack Obama was president, no one ever taught a chicken to go, Barack? That's ludicrous. Hello, and welcome to Face for Wrestling Podcast. Unsponsored. Unmonetary. Just for fun. Yeah. That's what it is. We don't want to do anything to make money off of this. Yes, please don't send us your money. Okay, so before we get started into the actual pay-per-view itself, I have something here that I've written up because I'm horrible at trying to remember everything all at once and I don't want to stutter all over myself. We can actually go over kind of where we're at and how we got here and why exactly we're starting in February of 2014 instead of all the way at the beginning of this reality show. In the past, WWF slash WWE would use different territories or organizations to develop talent or more appropriately, cherry pick. After the WWF had moved to a national stage in the early 80s, it became a little bit more difficult to develop homegrown talent since the regional wrestling federations were shriveling up. TV time was precious and couldn't be dedicated to starring brand new people that had never been heard of. So, whenever there was a Saturday night's main event or other syndicated TV show, you generally saw the same few wrestlers repeatedly. This was a problem, and still is, with other promotions that want to take the national approach to selling their product. Before the expansion of Al Gore's internet, World Championship Wrestling would try to solve this problem with their own power plant. There, WCW was able to train and scout new talent that hadn't previously worked for any widely known promotion or turn of broadcasting. They opened their doors up in 1995, and results were mixed. Obviously, the biggest name was Goldberg who would graduate and go on to perform attempted murder on Bret Hart by kicking his head into the sixth row. Although Diamond Dallas Page had been around the business prior to his WCW run, the power plant was really where his career took off. But there were also wrestlers who were more notable in the bad connotation of the term. The Renegade, also known as the Renegade Warrior. He was WCW's failed attempt at trying to pump up TV ratings in an effort to fool viewers into thinking the real Ultimate Warrior had actually signed with WCW. There was good and bad concerning the power plant's results. The jury is still out on Mongo all these years later. Even though the intent was to circumvent scouting the territories, there was still an operating cost. WCW tried to recover some of the funds spent on this endeavor by advertising an open enrollment to viewers, sometimes even during a pay-per-view. In all, the power plant only lasted four years before closing enrollment to the public. Extreme Championship Wrestling, led by Paul Heyman in New Jersey, would use a different approach to recruiting talent. Generally, the idea was simple. Hire people let go by the WWF or WCW during the time to supplement and support the five people either too dumb or lazy to leave for better opportunities. One could say this was less painful on the checkbook, but it's Paul Heyman. So there's a lot of bounce checks still floating around today. The WWF would even take advantage of this in the mid-90s by using ECW as a developmental property. They would pay Paul Lee a certain amount, either to him or under the ECW name, and every so often he or somebody else from ECW would show up on WWF TV to job out to more established names on Raw or Pay-Per-View. When ECW closed the doors as a separate wrestling entity before the WWE reboot, 
The WWF was left looking for another developmental program to assist in filling the roster or brushing up some of the current talent that had been away for a bit due to injury or other obligations. Here comes Ohio Valley Wrestling, led by Jim Cornette. They would start off in 1993 as a National Wrestling Alliance affiliate based out of Cornette's backyard due to his hate of travel. There, he would operate burden-free from any major promotion and run OVW as he saw fit. In 1998, they gained a TV deal and was able to schedule regular shows for their broadcast. Once they gained some notoriety from within the main WWE office, they got a call to be the next talent developmental program in 1999. ECW wasn't dead yet, but was firmly on life support. Although WWE was still using ECW, it was far less than was originally before. Since WWE was looking for a training program and didn't want to take the plunge into running it themselves, OVW was a perfect fit at the time. Cornette would scout talent with feet on ground in different areas not too far from his house, or Jim Ross would point potential trainees to OVW to begin and keep an eye on them as they progressed. Although there was some headbutting between Cornette and WWE, the pairing of the two produced a few big names that still show up today. Brock Lesnar was sent there by JR, Zack Ryder, he's a big name to us, damn it, Drack the Destroyer, Bobby Lashley, Dolph Ziggler. John Cena and Randy Orton would have their first 37 matches against each other there and continue their feud endlessly into the WWE. In 2008, WWE would end their relationship with OVW, opting to try again with something different. Listen to Jim Cornette rant for a bit about how and why things worked in OVW and why he hates Kevin Dunn on his podcast. Looking to have more control over their developmental process, WWE would stick their toes into Florida Championship Wrestling. Not to be confused with Championship Wrestling from Florida, where big names like Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan were from, even though WWE's involvement took some intellectual liberties from CFW, such as the usage of Gordon Sully. This was a new promotion, started up in 2007 by Steve Kern, otherwise known as the Fake Doink, R. Skinner, who also didn't like leaving his home if he didn't have to. FCW would produce some big names as well, Big E, Sheamus, Jack Swagger, and of course, the biggest of all, Titus O'Neill. As time went on, more independent promotions were closing the doors due to financial constraints, lack of TV deals, and WWE just wanting more control over the developmental process. Although the promotions used by the WWE put out some big names, WWE just wanted to make sure that everyone coming through had the proper WWE wrestling form before making it to the big time. Can you wrestle? Can you talk? Can you win fans over? But can you do all that like the WWE wants you to? Internally, WWE knew where this was heading years prior, but they never really wanted to put in the full effort required. With Triple H on his way up through the ranks, though, he needed to do something. And if Triple H is going to take over the WWE like everyone is predicting one day, then what better way to prepare him than by putting him in charge of a smaller scale WWE? Bring forth the NXT. Now, I know a few of you are going to remember that the original incarnation of NXT was more of a reality show and less to do with actually being a separate promotion. 
But this podcast is glancing over that and starting in February of 2014. Although there were some good things that came out of NXT between 2010 and 2014, NXT hadn't quite found its footing yet. This was a business move by WWE to potentially cut costs and keep firm control over talent creation. Ideally, the WWE would bring in new or independent talent and essentially start them from scratch. Having wrestling ability was a plus, but that's not what the WWE was looking for. At first, it seemed as though NXT was a gap filler to replace the hole created by the ECW reboot that ran from 2006 to 2010. The show would work in seasons and be reality-based. Contests were held, people voted, etc., etc. NXT would fill the remainder of the TV time commitment that ECW left open in 2010 and would then move to WWE.com pre-network. After the end of Season 5 of the original NXT, FCW would rebrand as NXT, making NXT an actual promotion. All titles from FCW would be retired or rebranded under the NXT banner and all the competition-based stuff was finally over. In February of 2014, WWE would launch the network, selectively leaving out Ireland and making them use a proxy to access it, and use NXT to fill in content for the network launch. Three days after the actual launch, NXT Arrival would air. Arrival was used as a way to prompt people to subscribe for the network. But how was NXT really different? Well, for starters, NXT shows were generally held at Full Sail University at Winter Park, Florida. Full Sail is a private and for-profit university centered around educating students in the areas of business entertainment. Their first offered bachelor's degree was a bachelor's of science in entertainment business. Really, it's no wonder why WWE picked this place. Sports entertainment, business entertainment, it's all the same. Around 2012, WWE would start a partnership with Full Sail and push a lot of business their way. For example, in 2015, WWE Tough Enough was being hosted there. This seems to be a perfect pairing for WWE. You have the opportunity to utilize the university and its students to work on WWE projects. WWE potentially gets shows produced for less money and students are able to pad their resumes before getting their degrees to show that they have some real-world experience. No word yet on if there's a Kevin Dunn School of Production. Likely, it would include teaching people how to talk shit all over the product while they're actively producing it. And Kelly Music. What does the finish look like? I didn't even see it. Events could also be held at the university and seat anywhere between 300 to 1,000 people for a show, depending on how the arena was set up. Theoretically, the WWE partnership would prevent NXT from paying stupid prices to reserve a venue while the promotion was starting. So, think back to 1994 when WCW started to change up how they were recording TV shows. They would set up shop at Universal Studios and let people just mingle in from the amusement park during tapings. Generally, it seems the people in the audience at Full Sail are a lot more energetic and wanting to watch wrestling than the Universal Studio crowd. Tickets are now about $40 a pop and the money is split between the school and WWE. WWE's vision for NXT was a smaller, scaled-down version of the main WWE, with the added responsibility of finding and grooming new talent. So being scaled back, so is the budget and TV time. This means that there are monthly TV tapings instead of weekly live shows, and those shows are shorter. Presented at one hour a week, this is a direct contrast to what goes on with the main WWE product. 
Raw is three hours and filled with interviews and McMahon segments. SmackDown is two hours and can be a rehash for Raw littered with more talking segments and maybe a little bit of wrestling. Now, we're not saying interview segments are bad, but when an average show advertised as wrestling has on average about 60% of the show spent in interview time, some of the wrestling fans either zone out or don't zone in at all. Now, if the format of Raw and SmackDown are your thing, good for you. WWE prides itself on having a little bit of everything for everyone. And for us, that's where NXT is. It's a smaller show, has new faces, and focuses on the in-ring ability of those performers. There are storylines within NXT that do require talking segments. And if that up-and-coming performer wishes to make it to the main roster, then you know they're going to have to learn how to talk at great length. The one who speaks, and he will, at great length, whether you want him to or not. Under the direction of Triple H and seemingly left alone by Vince, NXT, since its rebranding in 2014, has become a modern-day NWA. There are no official affiliations to other promotions on the show, but the talent is being harvested from other promotions around the United States and the world over. Locally recognized names to independents like ICW, New Japan, Chikara, TNA, CZW, Yo, you're gonna die! You are gonna die! And more importantly, Stardom, appear on NXT as they are introduced to the nationally televised audience in America. So, if they decide to make the jump from NXT to Raw or SmackDown, people know them. And if you, our listeners, already know who they are, now they're known even better. Having gone through that, is there anything you want to add? So yeah, as you said, it was formed in 2010 following the end of ECW and it debuted on Sci-Fi Network in February of 2010 and ran to October. It then moved to WWE.com until 2014, at which time it became a network exclusive. Hence why we're starting in February of 2014. Well, I'm sure they still got some of the older stuff on there. Like, we saw, we before we started this pay-per-view... They, they did, and I actually started that, um, I actually started watching with episode one, which covers the sci-fi um, channel stuff. Um, just a couple of interesting notes I found from it. They brought in the, some FCW wrestlers and paired them with pros, if you will. Some of the big names from the first one. We won't go over all the ones from different seasons, but I thought this was interesting from season one. You had the winner, Wade Barrett, who lasted until May of 2016 and has not wrestled since. You had David Atunga, who is now just pre-show stuff, but still around. Justin Gabriel lasted until January of 2015 and does the indies now as PJ Black. Heath Slater, still in WWE, still got kids. <laughs> still has kids. Darren Young, who was the first, I, I thought the wording on this was great, he was the first wrestler to come out while signed to a major promotion as gay. Not the first gay wrestler but the first one to come out while signed to a major company. Is that the one that looks like John Cena, but darker? He's the one with the crazy hair that he was one of the primetime players, teamed up with uh, Titus O'Neil, was his big claim to fame. <laughs> yeah. Had, uh, did the, Conda got buried quickly, but he had the uh, mentorship with Bob Backlund. They did the millions of dollars, right? For yeah, their millions and millions of dollars. Um, 
Demolition device, right? I think so, yeah. Skip Sheffield. I know that name doesn't sound familiar, but he went on to become Ryback. He started off as the corn-fed meathead, a country cowboy-type gimmick, and then later became Ryback, and no Gip- one's seen him since he left the WWE. Gimmick, you say, huh? Gimmick. Weirdly, found out he's from Texas. Did not know that. Never knew that as the Ryback. But Skip Sheffield was from Texas. Oh, Temple, okay. Temple, even, I think. Really? I think so. I could be wrong on that. It was, a, it was a town I'd heard of, but I can't remember what it is right now off the top of my head. Then, one of the first ones eliminated, Daniel Bryan, the current WWE champion, who went, as far as I'm up to date on the show, 0-9, did not win a match before he got eliminated. The uh, the all-famous losing streak. Let's see how far somebody can get over with yes, losing streak. let's sign the greatest wrestler in the world and have him lose to nobody's. And very, some of them were really bad squash matches. Even though they did have him fight Chris Jericho, who was uh, WWE, no, world champion at the time. Great match. And then the next week, he loses to a rookie in 30 seconds. Losing streak, loses to well-established people, becomes later becomes the star WWE of the company. Champion. Um, it sounds familiar. <laughs> well, the only one eliminated quicker than him. Michael Tarver, but they were actually eliminated on the same show. Michael Tarver was just eliminated five seconds sooner. Oh, okay. He's a nobody. That makes it so much better. Wrestles on the indies. Season two, we had the winner, Caval, also known as Loki on the indies. Oh, he's the one with the um, deep voice, right? Deep voice. Really good at kicking. That's pretty much all he's known for. He went uh, went on to um, TNA, right? TNA, Ring of Honor. Never lasted long with either of them because he thinks he should be world champion, and they don't. Well, most people don't. Yeah, He currently has a weird... Uh, you remember the video game Hitman? Yeah. That's kind of his gimmick right now. I remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah, he's bald. Um, <laughs> season three, all-women cast, the winner was Caitlyn, who went on to do not much. She was a Divas champion, I think, a couple times. Um, but retired, is currently in the process of maybe making a comeback. She's done some indie shows. She did the May Young Classic last year. Is she going by the same name? Yeah, still going by Caitlin. I may have to look that up, because I, I just draw a blank on her. She's pretty forgettable. She yeah. was kind of overshadowed. She was decent, but she wasn't great. She learned to wrestle during the NXT. Like, she had just showed up to the company, hadn't been trained yet, and they're like, we're putting you on this reality show. I wouldn't have a problem with that, except for the fact that it was... NXT was hawked as a, you know, this is a show we're we're doing. Yes. Primetime show. It's on the network. We're featuring this. That's not exactly the place where you take somebody with zero skill not and zero knowledge. At this, point in time. at this point in time, we're looking at uh, WWE.com. Oh, okay, show. okay. Yeah. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Notable, other, another notable, that's also where AG, AJ Lee got her start. Uh-huh. So, one big person to come out of it. What's she doing now? Uh, married to Sam Chicago's own. Wrote a book. We need to find a way to, like, uh, bleep out his name or something like that. We should. <laughs> or don't, but then mention that we're going to bleep out his name. Yeah. So, um, season four. How, how about we just replace his name with Chicago? Chicago's own. <laughs> season four, Johnny Curtis, the current Fondango. Is he still in? 
He's currently he's been out for about six months with injury. Like he had a bad injury. Isn't um, he paired up with um, Tyler Breeze? Yeah, for the they fashion police. The fashion police. And you know it's not going great for you as Tyler Breeze when your tag team partner gets injured and they don't push you singly. And then the final season, season five, Redemption, they brought back past contestants but never actually finished the show, the season, and it actually morphed into its own brand near the end with the final episode airing without declaring a winner. There were only two people left that hadn't been voted out, but neither of them got declared the winner, and the show became... um, its own show, NXT, which they took FCW, rebranded it as NXT, and started running it as a weekly episodic show. And that's where we're at right now. No, this is in June of 2012. So this is two years into the reality competition. They said, we're done with this. We'll keep this um, WWE.com show. It did run on Hulu for a little bit, but not for long. Um, But they were like, no, we'll run a weekly show, NXT. And that ran on... Um, WWE.com until the network was formed in 2014. The first ever live thing on the network is the pay-per-view that we're about to uh, review. The NXT arrival. The big selling point was that if you bought the network at this time, you got WrestleMania for free, but you actually got NXT arrival before that. Wasn't this the year where they were still trying to figure out how much it was going to be? Nine ninety nine. Well, I mean, besides that, they were saying at first. I remember prior to it coming out over here, right? Mm-hmm. They said you'll be able to watch all the shows, watch all the pay per views except for Mania. No, no, no. That was like a big selling point of that year was if you buy the network, and they were giving away free trials for your first month and stuff. If you buy the network, you get WrestleMania for free. That's what caused the big stink with all the uh, pay per view providers that year because they were like dude, we're trying to make money off of this and you're giving it away on your platform for free. We can't really compete. And I think it might have been that year, but it might have been the next year. They actually lost most of their providers and weren't allowed on satellite and cable anymore to where now it's solely ran on the network. But I think it started that year because they gave WrestleMania away for free. The biggest point was that you couldn't get it overseas when it first came out. Um, it was America exclusive. Well, they had mentioned that they were slowly starting to roll it out yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I think it came out in America first, obviously, because yeah. we're better than Ireland. Yes. Later on, it was going to start rolling out into places like Mexico, Canada. Yeah. And if you remember, because I remember specifically, you got the network and then immediately went to Norway to Club Baby Seals for a year. Yeah. And you couldn't take your network with you. And it was like, what do I do? Well, I got. I don't. I don't know how far I should go into this, but I set up a proxy here, remoted into it from over there. Nice. And then was able to watch the network from over there, in between beating baby seals. Nice. I got nice. some good boots out of it, though. Those are really. You still wear them to these days. Those are really nice baby seal boots. Thank you. Thank you. I a lot of a lot of clubbing went in, into it. And now you get to wear them to the club. <laughs> yeah, I know. I could go to the club while wearing boots that I clubbed for the club. That's the way it goes. Stupid baby seals. <laughs> they had it coming. Man, you saw that look in their eyes. They were blood hungry. I know. One of them had a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to shake me. And then he shared that knife with the other baby seals. Yeah. I saw it. So, NXT Arrival kicks off, right? NXT Arrival kicks off. And the first thing I notice is, I mean, the absolute first thing I notice is, 
Earthquake's not dead anymore. I cannot vouch for that being Earthquake's theme song. I don't. You're the only person I know with any sort of Earthquake love. So I don't doubt your accuracy, but I can't vouch for Earthquake's theme song. Oh, John Tenn is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Strong statement. Strong <laughs> statement. But we kick off with Earthquake theme song yes. with uh, to a lead-in with Triple H in the ring. Well done. Yeah, uh, he kept it short. Yeah. A lot of people complain that Triple H talks too much in the ring when he's on the main roster. Yep. He keeps showing himself into WrestleMania matches when he shouldn't be there. I'd argue that other people were shoving him in, but yes. But the crowd was very hot, and they supported him being in there because I think most of the people that are here already know that it's Triple H leading the charge for NXT. Yeah, NXT, like I said, it's been going on in this format for about two years now. Has a rabid fan base. I would say a better fan base than even maybe ECW. They know what they like, and they actually give it to them down in NXT. I would say the big difference between NXT and ECW at this point is is that, aside from NXT still being on the air, mm-hmm. both of them probably had about the same size crowd. Right. For the for a rival tonight. Probably. But yeah, I'd say the crowd size between ECW and NXT shows is pretty close. The difference is is that NXT definitely knows how to shoot the crowd better. Yeah, yeah. So you don't see a lot of empty seats. You don't see gaps in the crowd. Well, I'm curious to this aspect of who shoots NXT. Like, is it a Kevin Dunn disciple? This This is a Kevin Dunn production. Okay, Kevin Dunn is actually behind the scenes on this one. Yes. And good. Because he, as much as fans might not like Kevin Dunn and wrestlers might not like Kevin Dunn and managers might like Kevin Dunn and his family might not like Kevin Dunn, he knows how to shoot a product well. Right. He definitely is a TV guy yeah. and a movie production guy. Yeah. He, know, he knows how to wrap the camera around said product. Yeah. He definitely helps with the immersion and the uh, suspension of disbelief. So, shortly after the quick... Quick. Absolute quick promo, straight to the point. Are you this ready is NXT. For NXT? Yeah. Let's do it. We get El Generico. El Who? <laughs> um, he goes by. Um, who's the guy that killed El Generico down in Mexico? Oh, Sami Zayn. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did they call him? The Arabic Canadian. Yeah, the Arabic Canadian who killed El Generico. I don't know this El Generico that you're discussing. So, I was going to look up the whole storyline that has emerged of El Generico. I can tell you this, though. The fan storyline. Yes. Not even Sami Zayn's story, but the fans' storyline. That's how invested they were in El Generico. Here's what I can tell you about what I know of El Generico. Mm -hmm. He obviously wrestled prior to this in different organizations, such as Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor. Right. Well, they even said, like, sorry, not to cut you off real quick. They even pointed out in the match. He's wrestled in 28 countries in the world. That's a lot. And he had the flags of all of them on his pants. Yeah, and this is before he made it big. Quote, I'm making air quotes if you can see it. Yeah. This is before he made it big. He wrestled in 28 countries around the world. That's a lot. So El Generico here, apparently, in these other organizations, wrestled under a mask. Yes, as one does. Something to do with an orphanage. Something to do, Mafia, Orphanage. Had a hit taken out on him. Yeah, dead luchador. But these are the fans coming up with this story to justify why he's no longer in these independent organizations. Which is phenomenal. And in NXT. So the guy has a following. Yes. Not quite right following, but he's got fans behind him. People people dig him. 
if you know what you're looking for, he has a lot of El Generico references. Yeah. And I'll just leave it at that, because I know that there are fans out there that are really into this guy for some reason. As they should be. So we have him taking on one Cesaro. Who is not in NXT right now, but he's, he's back for this feud. This feud, yeah. Prior to this, they did what? Prior to this, um, Sami Zayn, I almost called him Zayn, Sami Zayn, uh, when he debuted on TV, his debut episode on the NXT show, had a match with Cesaro, and Fluke Victory won. This upset Cesaro, so they had a match two, which Cesaro won. Then they had the rubber match, a two out of three fall, two out of three falls match between the two, which Cesaro also won, two falls to one. But this match was a match of the year candidate. Phenomenal match. The storyline that kind of builds this up is Sammy was obsessed with the fact that he was in the match of the year, but he had lost. So he hounded Cesaro and hounded Cesaro and hounded Cesaro to get a rematch. And Cesaro was like, why would I do this? I've already beat you. Until finally, as they have announced a rival, Triple H came out on the show and made the match against Cesaro's wishes because it's what's best for business. Sorry to use his catchphrase, but in this case, I would argue it definitely was best for business. This was definitely a great opener to go with. You wanted your crowd into the show, and this is how you do it. Yeah, it's phenomenal match. So Cesaro comes out, and he's doing his Jack Swagger gimmick, We the People, the, who I found out, by the way, Jack Swagger's doing this in Bellatar. Is he really? Yes, he did a... I uh, know that. He did a, I don't want to call it a jobber match because it's UFC. It's not UFC, it's Bellator. Or MMA. Yeah. But he was winning that match. He destroyed him, yeah. Yeah, he just pounded First round him. knockout, right? Yep. I think. Uh, it wasn't a knockout, it or was well, a tap first out. first round win, yeah. It was a first round tap out, I want to say within two minutes. It was pretty quick. Yeah. And right after the match, he gets up and pounds his chest and screams, we the people. Nice. Nice. <laughs> this guy's ready to come back for a payday. I agree. <laughs> He looks a lot better over in Bellatar than he did in he does. WWE. And I never had a problem with him except for the lisp. You, it's just hard to take a world champion seriously. But they did something with him that they should have done with a lot of other people, and that is put a manager put with a him. Put a manager on him. Zeb Coulter, great manager, also known as Dutch Mantel. So as Azaro's walking in, he is jacked. Freaking ripped. Everything but his calves. Yeah. <laughs> It didn't help that he was wearing these weird thigh pads instead of knee pads. He, I, I kind of noted that here. The little tape that was right above his knees. That, that was a thigh pad. It wasn't tape. Was it? Yeah. Or it, it looked, was some kind of like armband thing. Yeah, it looked like legs. yeah, it looked like a sweatband that yeah. stole off a jogger. And or it was just weird because everything from that down was itty bitty. Yeah. <laughs> but everything from the thigh bands up, massively jacked. As he's coming out, our announce team is revealed to us. It is Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and Lord Stephen Regal. William Regal? Oh, my bad. Call him Stephen again and he'll slap you. He'll slap you. <laughs> I am very excited to have Stephen Regal, William Regal, Lord Regal on the announce team. He adds so much to any match. Well, this goes back to what you and... This is one of the very few cases of you and I agreeing on... <laughs> His career was over way too soon. Yeah. He should have been in a lot longer. He never should have had the man's man's gimmick. It's his favorite part of his career. It is. And I agree with 
with his reasoning on this, but I enjoyed the Blue Blood so much. I actually enjoyed Evil GM Regal from the WWE days when he was running around with Funaki, or yeah, Funaki and like Al Snow, and just like it was great. It was great. He's had a great many number of highlights. So I just want to point out real quick that even though we do have three people on commentary, it's really two. Yeah. It, it was Byron Saxon getting picked on a bunch. And not making any great points. No. It worked, though, because it gave them something. To, one of the highlights of the commentary for the whole evening was there was no outside shilling. Everything they talked about were the matches going on. Minus one, but I can give a pass on that because they were talking about Mania coming up, and that's fine. Right. That makes everybody money for the company. Yeah. But it was. But it wasn't every five seconds, hey, do this, hey, do that. It was all focused on the matches. So to build up a bit of that heel slash I'm better than you, he's not really a heel, but that I'm better than you with Regal, giving him someone like Saxton to pick on works phenomenally. Oh, yeah. And like you're talking about, we can't even watch a Raw, a SmackDown, a pay-per-view today without listening to them shill something that has nothing to do with what's going on on the show or even later in the show. So the match kicks off. We got a standoff. A standoff. And the crowd is losing their minds already. Oh, yeah. They're, they're ready for these two guys to just lock up and just start going at it. They do lock up, and we get a quick push-off from Cesaro. I believe it because he's jacked. Yeah. He could do whatever he wanted to Sami Zayn, and it would be believable. Throws him down and slaps the back of his head and then quickly apologizes because it looked like it was too hard. Yeah, I thought it was funny. Like You could tell the camera wasn't trying to focus in on it, but he was clearly apologizing and did not mean to hit him as hard as he did. <laughs> Still chuckling over that. Yeah, it was, he apologized a couple times, but trying to keep a mean face while he's doing it. This match was filled with reversals on everything. It was, like, if you like technical wrestling, watch this match. And not so much of just grapple, grapple, grapple. Just like you said, reversals, hard-hitting, mat-based wrestling. Really great match. Uh, Generico dives to the outside, and there was a phenomenal safe catch from Cesaro. Really good. Right place. Exactly what you need to be when you go for a dive. Throughout the match, Cesaro is favoring his shoulder a lot. I'm pretty sure this is a sign of all the tape to come. Build up for the tape to come. Yeah. I think you might be right. I think it happened at the close to the end of the We the People. What were they called? The Americans? The Real Americans? The Real Americans, I want to say. Something like that. Yeah. Something. It was close to the end of that that they had the, that he started supporting the tape on his shoulder. I do appreciate during this match that Regal is cheering on heel moves in such a face way. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. Oh man, I love Cesaro because he's bad. It was, dude, I've wrestled this guy. He's the best in the freaking world, in my opinion. He's phenomenal. Just watch and you'll he, see. He's explaining the moves and how they hurt, why they hurt. Exactly. You just don't get that in commentary on the main roster. Uh, yeah, it's the, it's missing. Like I like Corey Graves in the modern era as he's probably my favorite announcer, but even he is like. When you have that old school wrestler that was brought into commentary, they always talked about that. Like, it would be something simple like, oh, he stepped on his boots. And they would go into depth of, oh, man, if you don't have your toes, you can't run the ropes. Something like that, you know what I mean? And it just adds that extra, like, it makes every move matter when you know why it matters. Holy shit chance from the crowd as Generico flies through the ropes from the outside to an uppercut from Zazaro. Second best move of the night. For one... They done this. They had done this move in the two out of three falls match before, where Sami Zayn completed and did a tornado t- tornado DDT through the ropes, 
which was just insane. So they have this big move. The fans know about it. They think they're going to see it. And then you get great hill heat by Cesaro stopping that from happening. But you're also getting Cesaro a nice rub because he managed to counter it. It's that it's the right kind of hill heat that they built with that move. It was at this point in the match where the hard camera finally comes back to the main action in the ring because they're both back inside. Mm-hmm. And we see a whole lot of people on the right side of the camera wearing Pray for Mojo shirts. <laughs> yeah, it looked like he invited his entire extended family. And rather than buying merchandise, they just went out and had him made at a bodega in the mall or something. Yeah, this these are not shirts that you normally see at WWE events. I hope they're not. If they are, the merch guy screwed him over. Because nobody wanted these shirts. These are bad shirts. And I, and I started scanning the crowd throughout the rest of the pay-per-view to see, right, are we seeing anybody else with these shirts on? It was just this one, just one group of maybe, what, 20 people? About, yeah. And they had Mojo signs and everything, like I said. And it was a very older. Yeah. Like, they were old. Most of them were older. Was it his family? I, it had to have been his family. Yeah. It had to have been. Because they looked older. They were old, and then they were really young. So it looked like a weird subsection of maybe some of his nephews and nieces, his mom and dad. It was weird. Throughout the match, Cesaro is. Just great at working Generico's leg. Yeah, they give and take on both sides. But... Uh, and there and there was actually story behind it, too. So good ring psychology throughout the match. You're injuring this one part of the uh, body that El Generico's finisher is based on. Yeah, he does the hoover kick. Hold on a second. The wife just walked in. What do you want? <laughs> I'm leaving that in. The Huluva kick, which is one of my favorite names for a maneuver because... It's a hell of a kick. Uh, uh, see what they did there? You're okay with that, but not El Generico? I don't know who that is. Yeah, okay. I have here written Whirly Bird. Whirly Bird? It's got to be that double reversal, whatever the hell we saw in front of the us. Sunset Eclipse, Total Eclipse of the Heart Bomb? Yeah. Yeah, this insane neutralizer into on the shoulders, into a sunset flip from on top of the shoulders, front flip. I don't know how to describe it. We watched it back five times, and still we're like, what the hell is this? There are some moves in NXT that the network needs to add a slow motion some, option to. Something. Yeah. Move of the night. Oh, absolutely. Not even just the match. Move of the night. It wasn't soon after that that uh, Cesaro did actually hit his neutralizer, mm-hmm. because, you know, he's from Switzerland. Right. And and gets the clean pin in the middle clean of the ring. Clean pin. No false finishes. No... We're going to kick out of each other, finisher 17 times. Just a nice ending to You forgot about the European uppercut, though, where he threw Sami Zayn into the lights and caught him with the uppercut on the oh, way Oh, yeah, down. he did get some elevation on that, didn't he? Beast mode. Cesaro, you're a freak. Yeah, it was definitely a great opener. Post-match, they do the hug-it-out spot because of the past storyline that they great. had. Yeah, it was great. He finally earned the respect of Cesaro, which was what the whole thing was about. Not to spoil it, match of the night. Like, even if you don't want to watch this pay-per-view, no doubt about it, match of the night, not just not just a great opener. Like, even if you don't want to watch this pay-per-view, if you're a fan of wrestling, you should check this match out. Yeah, it went 22-55, which is A-OK for this match. Right. Great opener. Get the crowd hyped up for yeah. what's to come. Put the boys in the back on notice. This is what you have to compete with. Exactly. And even though Cesaro is not in NXT right now, El Generico is, yeah. and this is the standard that NXT should be going for for the rest of its existence. Exactly. This is what you need to do in order to make it to the main roster so you can get paid. 
paid and double the boredom. I did notice, though, I just want to point this out, those knee pa- uh, those thigh tapes that we pointed out yeah. earlier, both of them had fallen down to the bottom by the end of the match. Yeah, like, they both put and it made everything him, they had into this match. Yeah, it made him look so weird. Yeah, it's it was an awkward time in Cesaro's life. It's bad when a kilt is a better fashion choice. So I do have a question for you. Yeah. Was this the Generico call-up? This was not. Okay, so he's here for a bit. He's still here for a bit. Okay. We go from the match into straight into a Pray for Mojo package. Pray for Mojo. Because he doesn't get hype. He stays hype. Oh my god. This dude looks like he is whacked out on an eight ball of cocaine, dude. If you don't get hype because you stay hype, do you really need a hype package? Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout the night, we're going to see uh, NXT cameras uh, under the direction of Kevin Dunn tonight mm-hmm. cut to different people throughout the crowd. And I've got to hand it to the Fed for this. They know who to put in the crowd. They know when to shoot them. They know when they need to be there. And it makes it look like it's a major event. Yeah. This crowd's maybe got three, four hundred people max in it. Probably, yeah. But with the amount of stardom that you see pushing out through the show, mm-hmm. and in between matches we see, like, in this point, we see the mayor of Orlando? Um, not Orlando, um. It's the subsidy that they're in and, for full yeah, sale. Long Beach, I, I think, think it's something yeah. like that. And then you got the full sale president there as well, sitting right next to her. Phenomenal. You're you're seeing all these stars throughout the night. Mm. This you can't pay for this. No, that's great advertisement, and it's good community outreach. Yeah, I mean because we know what full sale is doing for yeah. the area. We know what NXT is doing for full sale by being here. So yeah. you could pay for it, and they did. You could, but. <laughs> But, I mean, that's a hundred, at least probably a hundred rookies down there oh, yeah. in a given week. That's adding to the economy. So, when we get done uh, looking at people in the crowd, some hippie starts coming out. C.J. Parker, the moon child. Okay, I'm going to hope you got some info on this guy because... I didn't really get a lot. Um, we'll go more into him later. Neither of these people are called up after this match. Um, the only thing I know about him now is he's no longer in NXT, but we will see him again on future episodes. And he's gotten a lot better. He's done some stints in New Japan. He's done some stints in Ring of Honor. He's not this guy that we're seeing. This dude looks like he needs to take a damn bath. Yeah, the dreads don't help, and he still has them to this day. The dreads aren't clean. I know that sounds redundant, but even by dread standards, they look weird. And he looks like Captain Caveman. Yeah, he looks legit like a dirty hippie from the 60s. Um, not much to this match. So after the hippie comes out, Pray for Mojo comes out, and man, is he on cocaine. So much cocaine. Like, Hogan would be like, dude, calm down a little bit. Phillips is on commentary and says, uh, brings a whole lot of passion. Sure. Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, dude, this guy's big. He's big. And he has... His 20 fans love him. Oh, yeah. Those people wearing the shirts that we yeah. pointed out earlier, oh my god, they are epilepsy fits. Weirdly, the crowd is behind it. I think they're I just understand. happy because they they just came off an important match right. to open up the show. So this is just a nice release of just get that energy out of you that you just built up during the last match? It must be because this match didn't carry the energy. No, not a little bit. Uh, he's got kind of a beer gut on him, doesn't he? It's a weird... He obviously works out Yeah. and he's jacked. Yeah. Roy Belly? But has Dunlaps. Because it Dunlapped over them trunks. Dunlapped over 
at least he was smart enough to wear the the short type trunks. Yeah. As opposed to the trunk trunks. I did catch him a couple times in the match, uh, starting to pull it up to over the Dunlap oh, part. Yeah. So I mean, he's trying to hide it. He doesn't look bad. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. no it's, I mean, to call somebody fat that could lift me above their head seems ridiculous. It's just weird to be that in shape and that awkwardly still fat. Yeah. Just weird. Uh, commentators are trying to stay engaged in this match, but they are having none of it. There seems to be a bit of a tongue-in-cheek every time Regal puts over Mojo. Like, I have to do this... He couldn't lace up my boots as an actual wrestler, though. But he doesn't ever say that. Yeah, he just beats around it's the just, bush with it. You can kind of hear it in the voice. I'm going to tell you, if this match opened up NXT tonight, they'd be done by now. Yeah, not a good match. It was a short match. Uh, he hits the hyperdrive and pin for the win. Yeah, and point out again, the hyperdrive is just him jumping on him. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you right now, if it was me, I wouldn't have pinned him. He looks like he stinks too much. Yeah, not a, not a, good, not a good match. Not a good follow-up. I guess it is a good follow-up for the first match because people probably wanted to go pee and get a soda. Maybe. It's a short show. Short show. It did what it was supposed to do, I guess. Yeah, I, I can't I can't complain. The match went a total of 325, so, I mean, you can't complain with that. No. I mean, to be probably the worst match of the night and only last three minutes. So right after the match is over, we go straight into an Emma promo package. Emma. And she dances a lot and really bad. On purposely bad. That's kind of what I took away from the promo package, other than she likes to talk about bubbles. I don't think she likes to talk about bubbles. She likes to play with bubbles. Regal likes to talk about bubbles. Oh, okay, okay. That must have been what that was, because, dude, she just looks awkward. Very awkward. Right after we go into that, we go straight into another package for, this time, the Ascension. The Ascension versus a mystery partner. Yeah. Right after their promo package hits, the Ascension comes out. Good entrance. For what it is, you would think that something like that would take a lot longer to get into the ring. Yeah, they but were quick. Quick, to the point, and it actually had the crowd into it. I do like their pose when they get into the ring yeah. with, uh, who's the one in the back? I think the big one is Khan. But you got one in the back holding up the titles, and you got the one right in front of them holding the pose. It's good with the lighting. That's what you want in a tag team. Yeah. Can you beat them? I don't know. They look that good. They look super, super built. So, before we start into the match and get into it, just a little bit of background information on the NXT tag titles. Okay. The tag titles were introduced in February of 2013, uh-huh. where they had a tournament. Four NXT teams, four main roster teams. We had the Wyatt family of Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, Percy Watson and Yoshi Tatsu. Not sure who Percy Watson was, but Yoshi Tatsu was pretty fun. Bo Dallas and Michael McGillicuddy. The current Curtis Axel, amusing fun fact for me on this, they're currently teaming up together as the B team on Raw. I didn't know they teamed together down in NXT. I'm sure they're doing the exact same there than they are at WWE right Once. now. Primo and Epico, Carlito's oh. cousins? Uh, Primo and Epico, aren't they the replacement Sinbachis? No, they were before. They didn't botch much. They just never did much. Okay. I said, I think they were Carlito's cousins or brothers or. They're part of the Cologne family. That's yeah, we don't like them here for no. multiple stabby reasons. Uh, three-man band, Drew McIntyre and Heath Slater. He got kids. He got kids. Cassius Ono, oh no, and Leo Kruger, who would become Adam Rose. Uh. Uh, yeah. 
And the final, oh, not the final, and Alex Riley and Derek Bateman. If Derek Bateman doesn't sound familiar to you, he's currently on the main roster as EC3, Ethan Carter III. He has a very potato look to him in the face, doesn't he? He also has that mysterious belly, even though he's jacked, that may come from substance. Extracurricular activities. Yep. Yep. And the winner of this tournament, British Ambition, I like the name, Adrian Neville and Oliver Gray. I bet that was a good tag team. I don't know who Oliver Gray is, but Adrian Neville is always decent in the ring. So they won the first belts on February 13th of 2013. They would go on to hold them until May 8th of 2013, at which point they lost them to the Wyatt family, who held them until July of 2013, where they lost them to Adrian Neville and Corey Graves, who held them until October 2nd, 2013, where they lost to the Ascension. Which brings us to this match between the mystery opponent. So the music hits, and you realized who these people were right off the bat. Immediately. This is one of those moments in time for me where I've kind of pushed it out of my memory. It was a guilty pleasure. I regret it. (laughs) I regret it, but I was a fan because they were too cool. I'm just glad they didn't come out with Rikishi. The best part about Too Cool being in this match for me, 100%, was listening to William Regal say, Hey, Grandmaster Sex A, over and over, and obviously hate himself for having to say it. In a very British accent, too. Yes. He hated it. You could tell he hated it. So when they come out, there's two things that I notice. Mm -hmm. First of all, Scotty Too Hotty is looking like a chemo patient. But a jacked chemo patient. Yeah, you don't see cancer patients look this good. No. more Way more jacked than he ever was back in the day. But no hair. Yeah, no hair. But now, there's a reason for this, though. Yes. At this point in time, he's actually a firefighter. Yes. So, he's actually doing real-world stuff and just happened to get yeah. called up. Now, they were on, a few weeks prior to this, I believe, an anniversary show for Raw. Yeah, like the throwback Raw. Right. Where both of them again showed up, and I think he was bald for that one too. Yeah, I think so. He comes out with Jerry Lawler Jr. Yeah. Who I thought was Jerry Lawler Sr. at the time. I thought, was, I thought we had weirdly got a time machine, and Jerry Lawler was in the ring, but with a weird bullfrog under chin. So I, I remember Jerry Lawler from prior mm-hmm. to, the, to the Attitude Era, mm-hmm. so that's why I said he looks just like him, because yeah. Jerry Lawler used to look like that. Oh, he had the bullfrog yeah. throat? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd call it. Well, it wasn't that. Gullet? Yeah, yeah, he didn't have the big gullet of that size. Uh-huh. He was a ringer. Yeah. Oh, he looked dead on. Now, Still in good shape, though. Now, I just want to point out for right now, this ain't a cut-in or anything like that, but I do want to point out that it has been a recent development that Brian Christopher did pass away. We don't want to try to make any light of that or anything like this. We're not going to try to make humor out of that situation at all. However, that doesn't take away from this match. This happened quite a bit before his untimely passing. So both of them are coming out, and when they get in the ring, they do their little shindig or whatever, and I'm staring at the ref trying to think, man, this guy's got to be Teddy Long Jr. The ref. Oh, my God. The ref looked just like him. So after this show, I actually came back over here, and I looked it up on on the YouTubes over here. Mm -hmm. You know, Teddy Long used to be a referee. Yes, Way back in WCW time, right? Yes. Yeah, you need to look this up, dude. I'll shoot you the link later. He mm-hmm. looks just like Teddy Long. There wasn't really much to this match. No, it was a nice nostalgia act. It, it was. Slash 
future. I won't say passing the torch because Too Cool really doesn't have the torch to pass. They got more of like a piece of paper wrinkled up on fire. Yeah, but it was it was it was, it was good for what it was. I will point out though, if this were on the main roster, mm-hmm. it would be the Ascension doing the job to someone way older. Yeah, they immediately almost immediately. almost like they did the job to APA. And every other tag team yes. that's ever existed. But in NXT, we definitely know how to use our older talent that was established back then and still has a good name today to put over new talent of right now. Right. Uh, during the match, we do get uh, Saxton referred to Stephen Regal just as Regal. Uh, call me Regal again and I'll slap you. I'll slap you. Favorite highlight call of the night. So the match goes uh, 6 minutes, 40 seconds. Yeah. Like I said, there wasn't much to it. Uh, they had a couple of good spots in here. A couple of good spots. Um, I did notice on the finisher, there was a bit of a botch. Um, the small one got to him a little quicker, and he messed up the uppercut portion of their move, the fall of man. Not bad enough to be like, these guys suck, but enough to be like, noticeable. Yeah, right after they do the fall of man mm-hmm. and do the pin, they did their ring pose over Scotty Tuhati. Man, did that look awesome. Uh, we're in the ring for maybe 10 to 15 seconds while they're doing their pose, and then suddenly we go into another promo package of Paige here! Paige here! Promo package basically with her pre-surgery, pre-crack. Uh, she will go on to do bad, bad things. But we don't know that yet because we're not there yet. So we just assume that she may do bad things in the future. To a belt or two, maybe. Who knows? I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> right after we get done with that promo package, we go into the crowd and we see... Ric Flair and Charlotte. Charlotte. Newly signed Charlotte. Newly signed. Referred to as Ric Flair's daughter. Yeah, no name. Just just Charlotte. No yeah. Charlotte Flair. Charlotte, Ric Flair's daughter. She looks she looks good. She looks really good. Um, pre-surgery, pre-weather yeah. uh, balloon enhancements. Yeah. Why didn't she stay like that and just keep the same talent? No clue. It's a shame. Uh, as, soon as, they, as soon as they show Flair on the screen, we have uh, Lord Regal going... Don't like to talk about Flair that much. It makes my liver shake. <laughs> it was the second best call of the night. He is on fire with the jokes. Regal is actually really funny for such a serious wrestler. As soon as we cut away from there, we go into the ring, and we see Stephanie McMahon come out just to make herself feel good, let, to let us know that she created women and allowed them to wrestle in NXT. You know, I'm glad that you brought this up. I initially had that same reaction, but... In the build-up to this, when I was taking my notes, I actually thought of something that had never occurred to me prior to this. They have to give credit to this to somebody, right? Not just the women, because the women can leave and go to elsewhere. Why not give it to Steph? Why not build up and keep that good faith? For the casual fan, we're not going to buy it. But for the casual fan, you'll get that nice build-up of good faith of she's doing so much and she's bringing these good wrestlers and it's happening... It should go to one of the McMahons that run the place because you know they're always going to be there. I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> That's exactly why they did that. Yes, exactly. And I, I can't fault them on it. I, I don't, I'm with you. Like, as soon as it happens, and it happens a lot, I'm like, oh my God, get off the screen. But I can't fault them for it. The good thing is, holy crap, she didn't stay on TV that long no. because she, to me, she has Xbox heat. Yeah. Not in NXT, weirdly, though. They didn't hate her. For me. Yeah. For, but the crowd didn't hate her. So as soon as uh, she's done with her spilling and everything like that, we have her introduce 
Emma, who comes out and has epilepsy. So when she's making her way to the ring, somebody actually went through the time and effort to make a puppet slash poster of Emma that was controlled by little sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that sign. I don't know. Sign, poster, puppet. All of the above. A lot of effort went into that. Yeah, and it was well done. Well made. Too much effort for who it was. Uh, uh, Stephanie McMahon is standing in the ring looking creeped out by Emma. But does join in in the epileptic seizure. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. As soon as uh, we cut away from Stephanie McMahon looking creeped out from that, they hit the music for Paige and she starts coming out. It was at this point... (laughs) What? She does the scream. (laughs) Ah! Was, was that her music? Yeah. The, oh, the scream is part right. of the music. Yeah. It was at this point where I drew on my paper a scale from Seamus to Tan Ref. Tan Ref. To be coming soon. Coming soon, and we can't wait. Yes. Where does Paige sit on this? If Seamus is one, the baseline, or zero, I guess, would be the baseline. Seamus is the baseline. So for this. zero. Tan Ref is ten. Ten Tan Ref. Yeah. Uh, Paige would be a one. And I have right after her, Mojo. Mojo was about a three. So yeah, page about a one. So before we get into this one, a little bit of background information on the NXT women's title. It is still called the women's title, although on the main roster we have the Divas belt, which, screw them. Benoit. I'll say it. I'll drop it out bomb. So we have the women's title. So it was introduced in April 5th of 2013. And a tournament was held on June 20th, but due to tape delay, it wasn't actually aired until July 24th. In this tournament, again, we have four main roster divas, women, superstars, and four NXT. We had Tamina Snuka. Murder, murder, murder. We had Bailey. Okay. Not a murder, murder, murder. We had Alicia Fox. Drunk. Not drunk. Oh, boo her. Boo her. Boo this, man. Uh, we had Sasha Banks. We hey. had Summer Rae. Yeah, exactly. Drawing a blank on this. Uh, I think her biggest claim to fame was she came out and danced with Fandango a couple times, or was his manager, or something. Yes, you're exactly right. Yeah. I remember this. We had Emma. We had Oksana. And we had Paige, who won, who won the title on... I guess July 24th, since that's when the, it went out on air, and has held it up until this point. Fun fact, and this is kind of where the, the build-up for this match is, she fought Emma in the finals. So this is a return match to the finals of the first ever tournament. Okay, so I mean, it's pretty straightforward storyline. Yeah. Bad fact is, we're still in this, we're getting out of the divas and the women can actually wrestle time frame. So, Emma won the number one contendership match in a dance-off. Oh, that sounds awful. But had to defend it. So, she actually put it on the line against a couple people, Natalia being one. And actually had to wrestle to keep it. So, it's like, yeah, you won it in a dance-off, which is dumb. But you actually had to wrestle to keep it, and I'm kind of on board with that. Eh. It's a nice bridge. It's a nice bridge. Which is exactly what this match was. A bridge between the divas and women who can actually wrestle. They were given a little bit of time. They weren't the best wrestlers, but they weren't what the main roster would have been used to at that time frame. And there wasn't 15 of them in a match and having to force all the work for two minutes. So it was a nice bridge. It was a nice gap. 
Start off with a chest bump and into catfight. As Paige and Emma stand together, Paige turns more translucent. I mean, she's about to disappear into the lighting. Weirdly, though, you can't see her veins. She's so pale, you should, they should just pop right out, right? She yeah. just have blue lines everywhere on her body. <laughs> it's almost like one of us was an EMT for a little bit, right? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I just saw it on all them dead sills you clubbed. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, these two were very awkward together. It was awkward, especially considering, like, finding out later that they had wrestled before this. Um, I did think it was neat, the, um, the bit of opposition. It wasn't really touched on, like, how they were opposite of each other. Emma's blonde hair, Paige black hair, Emma's in white and light purple, Paige's in black and dark purple. They even both had the lip piercing on opposite sides of each other. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it was like a weird juxtaposition of we're complete opposites, and that's Paige's whole gimmick, anti-diva, anti-people like Emma. They could have played that up more in the match. The announcers brought up the fact that Paige hates Emma because of this, but they didn't really play into it into the match or anything. They could have they could have done that better, I think. The crowd is really trying to make this match a lot better than what it is. Because as as I said, it's it's they're used to, hey divas, you have two minutes, all fifteen of you go out there and make something happen. They were actually given time on this. Like, let's skip a little bit ahead. How long did this match go? Twelve fifty four. Twelve fifty four, which for women at this time frame is an eternity. You're not getting that on the main roster. I agree with you, man, but come on. I think like I said, I think they're just excited for I think they're just excited for what the possibility of what's to come, you know? Yeah, because right after, you mentioned that and I say, Don't worry, divas will go away and women wrestlers will soon appear. But we didn't know that then. Yeah. We were hoping we didn't for know it. This then. In just hoping for it. And these were like I said, they weren't the best workers, but they weren't the worst. And they were a good for lack of a better term, bridge from the diva to the women to come. Stay tuned. Tarantula. Tarantula in the corner. Oh, I know. It was weird setup. Awkward. Yeah, very awkward to put on. A lot of awkwardness in this yeah. match. <laughs> Hilarious watching her get tied up in the ropes like that, though. Yeah. Followed by the Emma Sandwich. Which was literally her Yeah, and the commentators are always uh, ragging on Saxton during this match by putting Emma's name and everything. Emma, every move. He every added move. Emma, too. Emma elbow, Emma foot. Yeah, it was... Emma Tarantula. I think in this one, he even said in the Tarantula, she's in a bit of a dilemma. Uh, yeah, it so was awkward. That's like the caliber of your jokes. I wouldn't even make that joke. Yeah, right after that, uh, Regal tries to save the commentary and just mm-hmm. randomly says... I'm addicted to women. <laughs> he didn't say women. He was said he's been married 17 times. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he's addicted to wedding cake. Third best call of the night. Uh, right after that good bit of commentary, we go into a long rest hold. Rest hold. Ref must have come up and said, hey, that's enough. You've been in there for about 10 minutes now. Mm. Paige comes out of there and starts selling like Luger. <laughs> he's a bit of a duck. But I will tell you, the ref was spot on in this match. Uh, em, he started counting Emma in a pin while she has a submission locked in on uh, Paige yeah. because both of her shoulders were on the mat. Exactly. That right shoulder hit the mat, and he slapped that mat for one, and There's immediately she got up. There's a point later on, too, where I think it was Paige hit Emma with a move, went for a pin, but Emma's shoulders weren't quite down. He didn't get down to pin until both shoulders hit the mat. And this is the difference. 
here in NXT, the refs are on this. Yeah. They are on it. But on the main roster, they're looking for other things like, are you standing in front of the hard camera? Mm-hmm. Are you saying the right scripted lines you're supposed to be saying? Mm-hmm. That's not to say they're not wearing their earpiece in NXT. Yeah. It's just more of a very NWA feel here. Yeah, you, you're following that. They're following the action more. They sell, not sell, their facial expressions go with what's going on. They're really, they really add to it. They don't take away. And as soon as we get that good ref count right there, they follow it up with trying to murder that crowd. Again, I don't think it was as bad as you did. Uh, I actually was thoroughly impressed. I have not seen a lot of Emma matches. She's not smooth, but she's really good with a lot of good submission moves. Funny you should mention that because right after they try to kill the crowd, Emma does put another hold on her real quick, Mm -hmm. and Paige puts out a Howard Dean scream. (laughs) Yeah! Yeah! (laughs) There was a really good power bomb out of the turnbuckle. Can, can, I follow- can I do it? Leading to chance of better than Batista. Better than Batista. I have no idea what's going on on the main <laughs> roster at this time, but it's got to be better than Batista. <laughs> it wasn't that great a power bomb. I think they just really hate Batista. <laughs> the bad blood in this crowd. Right? As soon as we get done with the crowd chance, they want to make sure that the crowd is well rested for their. Following chance later that night, so we go into another rest spot. Rest hold. Rest hold. Hold on. Rest hold. And while we're in this rest hold, the crowd is chanting, this is awesome. And I think they are very confused right now. It was awesome for a women's match at the time. And I'll give Put you that. Put on your time traveler classes, sir. Put on your time traveler okay. classes. And finally, we get Paige wins with the submission, which is called the Scorpion Crossbow. And I have to admit, that's a nice-looking submission. It was really good point on to point that out as well. Um, I think it was Tom Phillips was like, what even is this? William Regal, the experience, the world traveler. That's a Scorpion Crossbow. That's what it is. Well, great use of him in this. And to name the move that hasn't been named yet. Because I think they said Paige has never done it before at this point. Well done on commentary, and the move does look brutal. The only thing that killed it for me after that good submission hold and clean tap out in the middle of the ring, right after the match they did another hug it out moment. Yeah, it really made no sense. They hadn't built up this whole respect storyline or anything, and it took away from a bit of the Sami Zayn uh, Cesaro hug it out respect moment. It didn't make any sense. I understand what you're telling me about the build-up to this match. Mm-hmm. However, maybe it's because it's a the crowd are wanting the women's division to actually maybe, build up. Hey, we did this awesome thing, and they did have a good lengthy match, and it it wasn't bad. It wasn't the best of the night, but it's it wasn't still the worst. Than Mojo and CG. Yeah, CJ. I just don't think it should have been another hug it out moment because I don't think the story was built in that way. Agreed. Uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of story to this one. I can definitely tell you this: stardom, this ain't. Call-ups, you say. Before our next um, podcast, if we have another, uh-huh. uh, Paige is called up. She is called up two months later at WrestleMania, the night after WrestleMania on Raw, where she wins the WWE Divas title on her debut and is then forced to relinquish the NXT Women's title, so we won't see her again on the show. Um, fun fact that I didn't know either. Apparently, the person who made her relinquish the NXT Women's title, Commissioner JBL. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, no, we won't. <laughs> no, uh, we will because we'll go over. We, we will. That's true. We'll sneak that in. Yeah. So in- this this leads up to another tournament, which we'll go over next time. 
Uh, we, we won't see Paige again. We will see Emma again. But at this point in time, she's been popping up on Raw and SmackDown doing the dance. They're in the process. Is this when she's wearing that up. shoulder pad black no, lipstick? No, 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 that's way later. Okay. That's Emmalina. Uh, no, this was she would show up in the audience and she would dance and she would hold up Emolution signs and all this stuff. Um, however, she was at a Walmart, as one is, and forgot to pay for an iPhone case that was in her buggy. Got arrested. Wait, when does this take place? This is shortly after. It's before the next pay-per-view. After all that, we cut to another promo package of this time Neville and his ears doing push-ups in the back. He does not look like a troll in this one as much as he would grow to become, but he's definitely an elf and probably a high elf. As soon as we see him doing those push-ups, they actually cut to a real promo package Mm -hmm. because I was worried there for a second, this being the match of the night in the main event slot. I said, man, you've really done some good promo packages up till now. Are you not going to give this guy one? Right. However, if I have to hear the term, the man that gravity forgot one more time, I'm going to forget. It's a ridiculous nickname. Real quick, uh, it it was short to the point promo package. Good promo package. Uh, And then we go into an NXT promo package. This is what they are. This is what they intend on doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's WWE Network buildup, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Or was it enough time to get... A crowd shot staged for Pat Patterson and Dusty Rhodes, baby. Highlight was Pat Patterson taking his hat. <laughs> I was a big fan of that. I do want to give Pat Patterson a little bit of credit here. He is notoriously known in the 80s to be getting a payday on pay-per-view. Just for showing up. Just for showing up on camera somehow. Right. Pat Patterson, you've done it again. Crafty old best. So we get ready to kick off with match number four. I'd almost forgotten about this match. <laughs> Music hits, and it's Dr. Xavier Woods to Brutus Clay's theme. Somebody call my mom. He seems to be enjoying it, though. Like, he, there's a legit look of happiness on his face as he dances to the ring to the song. True. However, he looks like that every time we see him. That is true. He is a happy dude. Tyler Breeze comes out right after with, a, with the selfie gimmick. Prince Pretty, the king of cute... And I forget what the other one was, but yeah, he had all these nicknames about how beautiful he is, and he's a model, and he wants to wrestle, which led to a great call by one of the announcers. I have that written in my notes here. Uh, the boots and the waistcoats were made from Guatemalan alpacas. Nice. I didn't mean that one. I meant that if he wants to be a model, why would he allow people to punch him in the face? Oh, that was a good one, too. Yeah. This is before he got his selfie stick, and he just comes to the ring with a, just looking at a phone. Great gimmick. Great gimmick. Later on, this gimmick would evolve. He yeah. would get the selfie stick, and they would actually FaceTime onto the Titan Tron. Yeah, yeah. It was a phenomenal gimmick. I hated it. I absolutely hated this gimmick. But in the right gimmick. ways. Yes, but yeah. this one makes me want to say, man, I hope somebody beats his ass. I want them to hurt his beautiful face. Yes. And the, and the weird thing is, is he's not that pretty. Like, he's not an ugly dude, but he's not, like, a supermodel-looking dude. And he's, like, five foot tall. As soon as they both get in the ring... They're about to kick off, and then all of a sudden, Rusev comes out, beats both of them down, and humbells Dr. Xavier Woods. Humbells. As soon as he's in the camel clutch, they start breaking out in USA chants. Shortly after he gets up, Rusev speaks in a little bit of communism and leaves. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. It did what it was supposed to do. It put over Rusev. That was it. So, a little bit of the build-up slash aftermath of this match. Xavier Woods is not actually on the NXT roster at this time. He's actually on the main roster where he's been teaming with R-Truth. That sounds awful. Yeah. However, 
the reason I think for this is since the Royal Rumble two month no the month before this, Rusev showed up at the Royal Rumble, had a great showing. Time out for a second because I want to tell you you and I were actually watching this Rumble when it happened. Yes. We had not seen any of Rusev no. in NXT prior to this. And when he made his debut, I said, my God, that dude's going to do something. He's going to do something. He's been showing up as well and feuding a little bit with Xavier Woods and R-Truth, going so far as to beat them both in a handicap match. So that's kind of why I think they used him as a squash in this point. We will not see Xavier Woods again because also at this time, he's getting fed up with losing all the time. And in July, he would form up with Kofi Kingston and Big E to form the New Day. It doesn't go anywhere. No, it doesn't. He doesn't, but they do. <laughs> um, Rusev will also not see again. Like I said, he made his main debut, like the actual call-up, in April. He did do um, a one-off, I think, one-off show in July, like a blow-off one last time in NXT. Um, but he, he's made his main roster debut. He would go on to win the U.S. title. And in one of your favorite moments of the year, Come to the ring in a freaking tank to lose to Super Cena. Get to the ring in a tank. You shouldn't have lost a tank, man. But Tyler Breeze, we will see again in the future. But the other two, this is it for them. Bo Dallas in the back. Promo package. Creepy looking, dude. He is creepy looking, but this is also the return of the Photoshop promo. Yes. They had a lot of places with his picture just blatantly plastered all over it. Phenomenal. He is such a good heel. How could you not use him on the main roster? I get it. I know who his brother and dad are in real life. I got it. He's actually a decent wrestler. He's not bad. His gimmick is very one-dimensional. It's not going to change up to the point to where... But fans were loving him when he made his debut. Which, I mean, we'll go into that later. But he he was liked on the main roster. I'm talking about just in general. Yeah. If you have somebody that looks like that and talks like that, you got to use him as a heel. Yeah, definitely. Now, he's where? Him now? Mm-hmm. He is a member of the B-team, doing nothing. But as soon as we get done with the Photoshop promo, we cut back into the crowd with Larry Zabisco, the living legend. The living legend himself. And Skinner. Not a living legend. He's alive, but he's no legend. Steve Kern, one of the founding fathers of NXT. As soon as we cut away from them, we go into a real promo package for Neville and Bo Dallas building the main event, which is a First ladder match. ever ladder match in NXT. I wanted, since we had brought up the ECW-NXT comparisons earlier, just a good point that this is two years in before they've done a ladder match. And at that time in the indies, lots of people like to throw gimmicks on everything. Kudos to them to saving it for a match that matters. Yeah, I'll definitely give them credit for that because up until this point, you've built on ring psychology, talent of the individual wrestler in the ring, promo ability, and just old-school promotion. Yeah, and you don't have ten other gimmicks on the card taken away from your main event ladder match. During this promo, did you recognize any of the previous clips that the Fed used for the package overall? Uh, obviously, Edge spearing Jeff Hardy. TLC, the TLC per- match. Yeah. From the TLC pay-per-view. Yeah. I saw WrestleMania 10, Brett and Sean. I was going to get into as well. No, that's the one I saw. The first ever WWE ladder match. Wrongly, people like to say it's the first ever ladder match ever, but no, just the first one in the WWE. I have it. F. 
I have it on good authority that Stu Hart did the first ever ladder match with a cow in Canada somewhere. I don't think that's true. <laughs> he would have made that cow tat. <laughs> you mentioned earlier the man that gravity forgot. When this match kicked off, couldn't Neville have just floated up there and grabbed the, been able to. Grabbed the just, belt? Yeet. It was at this point in the pay-per-view where you got curious and looked it up. Who's the ring announcer? The ring announcer is one Brandy Rhodes. We don't know where she works at now, and we'll never find out either. Well, we won't touch on it. Um, but wife of Cody Rhodes, daughter-in-law of Dusty Rhodes. We're about to kick off, and HBK music kicks off to just... Oh, oh, oh. No, no, no. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> yeah, I regretted it. <laughs> it hurt as soon as it came out. <laughs> I wanted to stop, but there's three, and you have to complete all three. That's what we're going with, huh? <laughs> I thought this was a wise choice. As we, as we touched on, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, first ever fed. You're right. Match. He was in a lot of the first moments for WWF slash E throughout history concerning ladders. Yeah. However, the crowd was a little bit too hot for this. They were too hot for it. As soon as he comes out, they started chanting, one more match. You still got it. Everything. Do you not see what's standing in the ring right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's so much that it threw him off. And he had to point out the fact that he was trying to remember his promo. There was a, a, the, a great genuine moment, but it went a little bit long because of this. Right after that, they started hitting off one of the weirdest chants I've ever heard a crowd say, HB Sizzle? Uh, shizzle? Swizzle. Shizzle. Shizzle. Swizzle. I don't, I don't get the reference. I, I, I don't either. He finally cut to, the, cut to the end of the chase, like you said, and says, look, I got kids. Just like Heath Ledger, he's got kids. He's got kids. Buy my Mr. WrestleMania DVD. I got kids. And leaves. And he brought up a point that I was thinking in my head when he first came out, covered in Mossy Oak cameo from head to toe. I don't want to wrestle anymore because I can show up and not have to be in dress code and do whatever I want. There's one thing about this that was really weird to me. Yeah. Why'd he come out with the belt? Uh, I don't know. I, li- I liked it. I thought it was a nice touch. But he didn't put it on the ring of a... Yeah. No, he, he didn't. He hung it. No, he handed it off. Did he? He just walked out with the belt. Cut that. Ask the question again. Bo Dallas should wear it. The champion should always wear it, and they should be kind of reluctant to hang it up there and not have it in their possession, especially when they're a heel in this aspect, kind of even a shortcutty chicken shit Exactly. Yeah, they could have played off of that. One thing that you'll always hear us say on this show is, nine times out of ten, world championship on last, and every single time your champion better wear that belt out. Exactly. I won't say every match. The champ or every show, the championship should go on last. But I said nine times out of ten. Yeah, I was so. gonna say. I just wanted to point my. You're a little even more. I might say eight times. Eight times out of ten. Uh, Neville comes out first, which is good. Challenger comes out. Uh, dry ice everywhere. I hope nobody's standing close to this because it's sucking the oxygen out of anybody. Uh, Bo Dallas then gets his theme song going, and it sucks in a great way. It sucks it, as his character should. And there was another nice little moment here of. Adrian Neville comes out, goes under the ladder, doesn't need luck. Bo Dallas scaredly edges around the ladder to make sure he doesn't go under it, so he doesn't get bad luck for the match that's about to take place. They did mention that Bo Dallas was 260 days as champion going into this match. So once both uh, competitors come out to the ring, HPK shakes their hands and goes back to Texas. Yeah. A little awkward to have the Hill shake his hand, but that's just me. Yeah, it, just, it seemed a little off. Yeah, all around for the whole for the whole segment. So before we get into it, the history of the NXT World 
Go ahead. So the heavyweight title was introduced in July of 2012, but wasn't actually fought for until a tournament on August 29th, 2012. In a tournament, you guessed it, four NXT stars and four main roster stars. So the tournament had Richie Steamboat, the son of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, sadly injured with a back injury in 2013, so he hasn't made it, he didn't make it this far. Um, would have been interesting to see a, you know, second generation wrestler. Um, Leo Kruger, who as I said later becomes Adam Rose, Bo Dallas, Jinder Mahal, Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre, Justin Gabriel, and Michael McGillicuddy, also known as Curtis Axel. Apparently they used him in all of these tournaments. They were pretty high on him back then. Is his other gimmick named Steve Lombardi? No. <laughs> Anyways, the winner of the tournament was Seth Rollins, who held the title until January 9th, 2013, where he was defeated by Big E, who held the title until June 12th of 2013, who then lost it to Bo Dallas, who was held it up until this point. A little bit of backstory on the match. Okay. So Bo Dallas, after beating Big E, had this whole Bo Leave gimmick. He was hated so much by the fans that they actually started turning their backs on him whenever he would come to the ring. And they would cheer whoever his opponent was. That's a good way to get new people over. Excellent. Um, this is a rematch from December that Bo won via countout. Along the way as well. I think you'll get a kick out of this. He was also feuding with Sami Zayn. He came out and did an open challenge and said he would fight anybody in the back except for Sami Zayn. Outcomes, El Local. It's almost as if El Generico is not dead. Unfortunately, under a little bit of digging, El Loco was not his gimmick. There was actually a wrestler in NXT at the time, Ricardo Rodriguez, who you'll remember as the personal ring announcer of... Really? Puerto Del Rio. Nice. He wrestled in NXT as El Local. And Sammy borrowed the gimmick so that he could get a title shot. So this is a rematch from previous Neville has fought for the belt and shenanigans because that's the hill work of Bo Dallas. I'll do whatever it takes to win. And he beat him in a count out. Um, so Triple H made this one a ladder match in order to counter that aspect of you can't be count out, you can't lose by DQ, all that fun stuff. I'm actually glad they went with a ladder match instead of like a cage match. Same, same. Or a no-holds-barred match or something along those lines. Yeah, agreed. It's definitely a match that keeps it in the ring. It has to stay in the ring to complete. Right, and the ladder match is the perfect match for the man that gravity forgot. So the match is about to kick off, and my main question is, is where is Tanref? I, I don't know. We'll have to wait. I didn't want to, I was going to look it up, but then I was like, no. Let's save that for a surprise. Right after they both start, Bo tries to leave early for a ladder yep. and is quickly stopped by Neville. Yep. But it's pretty genius. As soon as the match kicks off, hey, let me go ahead and get a ladder in the ring. I've, I've always liked that spot. You should try to get up there as quickly as possible, and you can use it as a weapon. Yeah, they do a little bit of work, in, and then Bo tries to then turn and work the crowd, and the crowd is having none, none of them. Phenomenal. It, it's good. I mean, he used to be such a great heel. What it, happened? It brings great heat when you try to get the crowd, and then they won't if you can do it right. And Bo is doing it perfectly during this match. Neville gets his leg caught up in the rope, and Bo uses it to try and grab a ladder. Yeah, which is, again, smart. 
Out of nowhere, though, Neville flies outside to hit Bo and grab the ladder himself. Brawling on the outside, Bo charges with the second ladder and misses, conveniently putting it in the ring. Yes. Would have murdered him if it hit him with that ladder. Oh, yeah. Well-timed spot on Bo. And kudos to Neville for trusting Bo with this spot, because if they'd have been off by even a second, Neville's straight-up concussion, broken nose probably. Or could have hit an ear. Probably, maybe they would protect him like Dumbo wings. <laughs> that's why Gravity forgot him. He's reincarnated Dumbo. Why did I not know this before now? <laughs> Neville sets the ladder up in the ring and climbs slowly. I hate this about ladder matches, man. Don't climb until it's time to climb because the slow climb is just so played out and so ridiculous. But Bo hits him with the second ladder to knock him off. So if you're going to climb slowly... At least have a spot to justify you being knocked off like an idiot. Yeah, but I just, I'm not a fan. It was at this point in the match where the crowd chants got to me. Because as soon as they get the ladder set up for climbing anything whatsoever, mm. we won't table chance start breaking out. That's not a table match. It, come on, guys. Match. You The crowd was so great up until this point. Agreed. And you had to go all ECW on us. Agreed. Just because it's hardcore doesn't mean there is a table or should be a table. Bo goes for the belt and Neville tips the ladder with his feet because he's under the ladder. This is a really well spot. Like I was I don't think I've ever seen anybody use the ladder to pin someone under like that before. Nice spot and then the counter out of it was really well done. Neville in turn sets up the ladder and Bo punts him down. Just straight punt. punt. Straight good punt. You know who else used to punt? Earthquake. Randy Orton? <laughs> we go straight into a ladder tug of war. Not a bad spot. Not a great spot. Yeah. It's it, better than I'm going to put a ladder on my head and spin around spot. Real good swing and DDT off the ladder in yeah. the corner. Yeah, really good. They had a very rough ladder fall on top of Neville. Yeah. I think it caught him in his ears, actually. And I, that's not a joke this time. I think it did actually catch him in the side of the head. Um, it looked not pretty. Regal pointing out common sense, wanting Neville to not screw around and climb the ladder as quickly as he can. Yeah. I'm going to say Regal actually saved this match. Regal was a highlight. Um, it wasn't that bad of a match. No, but I'm talking about stuff like the slow climbing up the ladder. Always going to be an issue in a ladder match. I feel like this was, there was a big lack of story being told. And it wasn't a great ladder match. It wasn't the worst. Yeah. But again, you had commentators, especially Lord Regal, pointing out, hey, you shouldn't be going up that as slow as you can. Exactly. You should be climbing up there, going for the belt as quickly as possible to end this to prevent any further damage to yourself. Right. Uh, Neville's thrown off the top rope by Bo to the outside. Mm-hmm. It, it looked bad, but it actually came out pretty safe. It seemed safe, yeah. It started off like he's about to get hurt. Neville then flies over Bo to the middle of the ladder while Bo's climbing up to grab the belt. Great spot. It, it was. It was timed perfectly. Yeah. It was the one time during the match that the man that Gravity forgot seemed to earn his nickname. Like, there actually wasn't a lot of high-flying in this match from Neville, which I expected. Like I said, they beat you over the head with this gimmick. But this spot was well worth it. He cleared him, lands halfway up the ladder. Great spot. The receipt for this was Bo buckle-bombing Neville into the ladder in the corner. Which is great. Neville corkscrews onto Bo on top of the ladder. The red arrow, I think is what they called it. It was a good spot. It's a, good, it's a good move. And then right after that, Neville climbs and gets the belt. Climbs and gets the belt. So you had your finisher. Mm-hmm. It was a definitive finisher. Mm-hmm. It gave you enough time to climb the ladder and grab the belt. 
And even though it was done on the ladder, it was still very safe. Even right after Neville grabbed the belt, you saw Bo finally get up and try to come into the ring. Mm-hmm. It almost made it look like that Bo Dallas was late for something, like a spot or something, but it made sense. Yeah. Because you did enough to overpower your opponent yeah. to put them out for so long that they couldn't do anything to stop you. Yeah. I'd say, though, my biggest point, my biggest disappointment in this match, like that, there wasn't a lot of the man that gravity forgot. So there wasn't a lot of high-flying stuff. I'm not saying you need a lot of high-flying stuff, but if you're going to hit us over the head with that over and over and over and over and over again and then never really do anything with it, a bit disappointing. And then they build up this Bo Dallas will do anything to win, anything to win, desperate to keep his belt. Didn't really see that from him in this match. Yeah, it was 16-02. It started off real slow for a ladder match. Yeah, it was a very... I don't want to say generic, but very basic match. In in contrast to that, though, it had a very good constant build throughout the match. Yeah. I just, like I said, I think there could have been more on the story side. Like, you, it's well, just, like I said, I didn't buy it. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the crowd. The crowd wanted this match to happen, and they wanted it to end like it did. I think they just wanted somebody to beat Bo Dallas. Well, that's what I'm saying. They, uh, wanted, they wanted this match to end the way it did. They were very excited to have somebody beat Bo Dallas, and they were also very excited, in addition to that, to have somebody like Neville, who is very talented. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the greatest on the mic, mm-hmm. but very technical, very athletic. He brings to NXT that type of wrestling ability that you just don't see on the main card today. Right. He's sitting on top of the ladder with his belt, holding it up because he is the world champion of NXT now. You have the CO2 spraying down from the ceiling and some suit there, but I don't know who's in it because I can't see him. I don't know who it was. It's just a floating suit. But we do cut back to Neville sitting on top of the ladder to close out the show with the title. Yeah. And I'm glad they did that. You know, you had to get your last uh, star spot in in the crowd, but I'm glad you didn't close with that because that that shouldn't be the focus. Agreed. It should be on that one. the weird thing, though, was the way they set it up, though, I kind of expected a run-in from somebody, not anybody in particular, but because of the way they kind of lingered and showed John Cena and then went back, it made it seem like they were setting something up. Again, didn't need it, but it just felt that way a little bit. A little bit of the aftermath. This is the last time we will see Bo Dallas on a takeover. Or the main show. roster. Um, after losing a rematch on March 27th, he then lost to Big E in a loser has to leave NXT match. When was this? In March. Um, we'll touch on his outro when we hit some of the regular shows. And like I said, that wraps up the show, so what'd you think? Overall, um, again, if you compare it to NXT now, which you shouldn't do, uh, it wouldn't be considered a classic. But what from what was going on at the time um, on the main roster, phenomenal show. Uh, I would probably give it a solid three out of five. Show overall. Yeah. Uh, the highlight of the night, obviously, Sami Zayn and Cesaro. Um, five-star match. Uh, not as good as their two out of three fall match. I did see that match. But great show. Or a great match. The show itself, like I said, I felt most of the other stuff. It was a great introduction to some of the people that they had on the program for people who might not have been watching the TV show up to this point. Um so for that, it was very successful. Um, but overall, yeah, about a three, 
about a three star. I'll go with that. I, I would say the opener carried the show a lot more. Right. Without that match, I, I don't know how great the pay-per-view would have been as a whole. Yeah, if you had started from the second match and worked your way on, yeah. it would have been a far weaker show. Yeah. El Generico and Cesaro put on a hell of an opener, Works. and that is exactly what any event should always have in it. Even if, and I'm not saying that the main roster doesn't do that now because you know the main roster has dark matches that they have before the show starts so they may very well for the live crowd have something like that we the fans and we the viewers don't see that all the time but this show definitely had that yeah it was like i said it was great it's a little sad that it overshadowed in my opinion the world title match but i mean you were never going to follow that match between the Sami Zayn and cesaro Regardless of who you had in the main event. So, I can't, I can't hold that against them. No, I'm right there with you because it did exactly what you said to do in the first match. It put everybody in that locker room on notice. This yeah. is the bar that you have to meet. Nobody met it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I just had a fart, brain fart. <laughs> this is the bar you have to meet. Wait no a minute. Intended. Wait a minute. Cesaro's in the bar. Oh, God, it's starting to make sense now. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, yeah. Maybe that's why Sheamus actually got better. It's just Cesaro and Sheamus tags in for the hot tag. He's the bar. Speaking of hot tag, by the way, just a weird random side note that I forgot to bring up during the tag match. It was interesting to see Brian Christopher work the um, bulk of the match and Scotty Too Hotty take the hot tag. Usually it's the bigger guy that takes the hot tag. Just a weird side note. But I know they were setting up for the worm and everybody wants to see the worm and the worm and the worm. It was just... A nice reversal. When they were doing the worm, mm-hmm. just like you brought up, if you're going to take an hour to set up a move like that and you're laying on the ground, you best be dead. Yeah. And guess what? They weren't dead. They weren't dead, and he paid for it. And that's exactly what should happen to that move every time it happens. 100%. Same thing looking at you, Rock, in the rock bottom. Never win with that move. Or the people's elbow. That's what I meant. Oh. The people's elbow. And Spinner Rooney, hate that too. That, that is a bad move. Not talking about the podcast in itself, but are you looking forward to the the actual episodes in between now and our next I am, event? Because I've been watching the reality show version in NXT, and I'm ready for a change of pace. And this did hook me. Like I said, it does make you want to see more. So before we take off here, we're going to end with our super famous, super well-known, been doing it for years, Hill of the Night. It's a little hard to choose tonight. There weren't any super hills. So, I would probably choose... Hmm. Bo? Yeah, that seems like a good choice. As much as I slagged him off, there wasn't... Like, even Cesaro did the hug afterwards. So, he can't really be a hill. CJ Parker, I guess, was a hill. Being a hippie doesn't just make you a good wrestling (laughs) heel. Um, So, Bo was the only one really a hill of the night. How about you? I'm going to have to go with Ric Flair. He was clearly in the arena along with Dusty Rhodes. He is. And he's the greatest still of all time. And they could have had to rematch. Fair enough. They might have. They didn't. It should have been the main event. But Flair denied us another Flair main event by could not you, showing up. Could you imagine an aged Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes in a ladder match? That'd be awful. <laughs> Neither one of them get past the first one. Dusty's like, Cody, gold dust. Help me up this ladder. <laughs> I can't do. I can't do a gold dust impersonation, and I refuse to try. <laughs> Dustin, baby, get up here and help me get up the f- 
works better. That's actually not terrible. <laughs> that is not terrible. So there you have it, our Hill of the Night, Bo Dallas and Ric Flair. Well, that's it for me, Waldo, here in live Michigan. And I'm the Matt, also taped in Michigan. Dr. Brian? Words of wisdom. Words you can definitely live by those. We'll be sure to work on your microphone next time. Yeah. That could be our bit for a while. I'm just, I'm just trying to come up with an outro. So if any of you out there are actually listening and subscribe to our channel, please remember to help us come up with better lines. Leave it in the comment. We will steal them. We will use them. <laughs> we have no shame. None. Dr. Brian has even less shame. Yeah, he's naked right now. Be sure to give us a like on YouTube or wherever we find a way to put the, post this up. Subscribe. Subscribe. Tell your friends about us. There will be more. Hold them for money. Mm, we don't have a Patreon, but you can just send us money in the mail to the Waldo and the Matt. That's all you need. It'll come to us.